Welcome to Sundays with Montrose Bible Church. We're glad you're here to join us in a study of God's Word. This morning we continue our sermon series in the book of Philippians. And we saw last week that Paul was a man who in our earthly economic system had a great many gains. But when God shined his light upon Paul, and he was able to see his own life through God's heavenly economy, he realized what the true value of all of these gains were. When they were compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus as his Lord, all that they added up to were loss and rubbish. It was only because of God's intervening hand that Paul was able to see these things in their proper light. But we also saw last week that it wasn't enough for Paul to merely acknowledge all of his gains as loss. No, he had to actually suffer the loss of all things so that something might happen, so that he may gain Christ, may be found in Christ, and may know Christ in order that he may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And this leads us to our this morning's text. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Philippians 3, 12 through 14. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as a having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So reads the word of the living God. And what we'll see here this morning is that Paul is continuing to develop here the idea of putting no confidence in the flesh. He's shown the Philippians that no one himself included, can make a claim on God based on their own credentials, no matter how grand they may be. Paul's actions before he came to know Christ would not allow him to lay hold of God. And Paul's actions, now that he has come to know Christ, still will not allow him to lay hold of God. No, he'll never be able to lay hold of God or make God his own if God has not already laid a hold of him And made him his own. For as we're told in Ephesians 2 8 through 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And Paul knows this to be true for himself, but before he moves on, he needs to make sure that the Philippians do not somehow misunderstand his instruction to put no confidence in the flesh as a new means for putting confidence in the flesh. As David De Silva, professor at Ashland Theological Seminary, has said, Paul, after expanding on the surpassing value of this experience of Christ, carefully undermines any possibility of a new Christian confidence in the flesh or a sense of having possession of already of what depends on God's favor and not human achievement. 
Paul needs the Philippians to understand that the whole process is God's work. God's involved every step of the way, from the start to the finish, and everything in between. And Paul, in order to help get this point across to his friends, drops the banking analogy that he's been running with and moves into the athletic arena. And we see this switch being made in verse 12 of this morning's text. Philippians 3.12 Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Paul's no longer using the accounting language of gains and losses, but picks up the vocabulary of a runner as he himself presses on to reach what lies ahead. And we saw last week in verses 7 through 8 of Philippians, Paul saying, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish. And we saw in these verses that Paul counts all of these things as loss. And we also see the things that became available to Paul when he was willing to do so. He suffered the loss of all things so that something might happen. And we saw the effect in the remainder of verse 8 all the way through verse 11, which reads, So that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And this is what we looked at last week. And right after these verses, we see in verse 12, Paul saying, not that I have already obtained it. And if we look to this verse in isolation, we're left scratching our heads as to what the it is that Paul has not already obtained. But when we look to the context, our answer reveals itself. So what is the it that Paul is referring to here? And I was, as I was preparing this week, I asked myself the same question because I need to share it with you all. Uh, and I kept track of the different answers I found from the many commentaries I read over. And some concluded that the it refers to Paul's whole previous conversation. Others said it refers to salvation. Others concluded that what Paul had in mind was knowing Christ. Another thought that, that it was in reference to being conformed to the death of Christ. And others answered that what he had in mind was the resurrection from the dead. And while the answers did vary, the majority concluded that what Paul was referring to was the resurrection from the dead. And this answer is the one that I believe makes the most sense as well. For as we'll see in this morning's text, it's the only one that's not fighting for dominance with the other ones, but rather it unifies it. For the resurrection is what would carry Paul upward into the presence of God, where he, in the complete sense, will gain, be found in, and know Christ. 
And while Paul was writing this letter and was in a present state of living on the earth, he had not obtained any of these things in their fullest sense. He had not yet become perfect. In 1 Corinthians 13, 9 through 12 can help us better understand that. I ask you to turn to 1 Corinthians 13, 9 through 12. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. And while Paul is still living here on the earth, he has not already become perfect. He has not gained, been found in, or known Christ to the full degree that he will when he crosses the finish line and sees him face to face. Christ has not yet transformed the body of Paul's humble state into conformity with the body of his glory, as we see in verse 21 of chapter 3. Paul still has work to do, He still has sin to fight against. He has not yet completed his course, so he presses on. And we see this in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on. And this is the first word clue that we are given to Paul's new analogy of running a race. I press on. I dioko, meaning to pursue after or to try to achieve something, to run after or to persecute. And we know from the book of Acts that during Saul's miraculous conversion, he was without sight for three days, and that God told a man named Ananias in a vision to go to Saul and lay his hands on him so that his sight might be restored. Ananias was nervous because he had heard of Paul's reputation of being a persecutor of the church. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he, Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the sons of Israel. God is the one who set Paul apart and chose him to proclaim his gospel. As we know, Paul was headed to Damascus to persecute the church, and then God intervened in his life and spun him around 180 degrees. He had a new life, new goals, a new purpose, and a new hope, all because of God. God is the one that entered Paul into the race, and Paul recognizes that now that he has been placed into it, He isn't to remain idle at the starting blocks. No, he must run all the way to the finish because it's not until he crosses that line that he will receive in full what he now only knows in part. He's not already obtained it, and he's not already become perfect. So he presses on. And we can be confident that Paul has not fully obtained it because he tells us so right here. And also because he presses on. Yet we can also get a sense from the preceding verses that Paul was doing some foreshadowing to help prove this point as well. For if he indeed did receive his prize in full, if he had already obtained it or had already become perfect, 
just because he had entered into the race, we would expect what we saw last week in the text to look different than what we see. For if all that was required of him was to enter into the race and not run it and not make it to the finish line, then there would have been no need for him to further elaborate on his counting and loss as we see in verse 8. And if we look to Philippians 3, 7 through 8, which is the text we looked at last week, we'll see Paul saying, Whatever things were gained to me, these things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. I counted past tense. And then verse 8, More than that, I count all things to be loss. If we drop down to the bottom of the verse, we see once again, And count them but rubbish. I count present tense. If all that was required of him was to enter into the race, then his past tense, one-time accounting, would have been all that was needed. Why would he give up more, and why would he keep on running if all that was required was a one-time action? And furthermore, we saw last week that Paul suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish so that something might happen. So that he may gain Christ, verse 8. He may be found in Christ, verse 9. He may know Christ, verse 10. And that after knowing Christ, he may attain to the resurrection from the dead, verse 11. And if we look to this text with a keen eye, we see a lot of maze. I may gain, I may be found, I may know, I may attain. And if Paul was able to possess all of these things in their fullest sense, at the moment of his conversion, would we not see him saying, I have gained, I have been found, I have known, I have attained? So why does Paul phrase these things the way he does? Is it because he's expressing doubt as to whether or not God can make good on his promises? Certainly not. We see Paul expressing his confidence in God in, to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.12. Paul says, For this reason I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted him until that day. Paul is not expressing doubt in God. What he's doing is explaining how salvation works. None of his actions, past, present, or future, will allow him to make a claim on God. It's only because of God that he entered into the race. It's only because of God that he can run the race. And it's only because of God that he will make it to the finish line. And he'll not be given a prize for simply starting the race or keeping a good pace in the middle section and then dropping out. No, he presses on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And this is how a race is supposed to work. There were no participation awards given in the athletic events of Paul's day. No one was receiving a prize because they simply started the race or ran really well for a short time. No, they only received the prize if they ran well all the way to the finish line. And Paul's thrust here is not for the Philippians to sit down and think through all the reasons why it makes no sense that one would receive a award for only starting the race and not finishing it. His main thrust is to press on, to keep on going, to reach forward to what lies ahead. And I don't want to rabbit trail off of his main point to such an extent 
that we lose picture, picture of what Paul has in mind here. But at the same time, I can't help to stop here and briefly think about the absurd notion of one receiving a prize simply because their feet touch the starting blocks. And in the athletic arena, there's no other way to describe that than an absurdity. No, no coach would be pleased with the runner who refused to run. There'd be no metal placed around his head because he walked out on the track and then sat down after he heard the gunshot. No, what he should expect is a slap upside the head. If you're a runner, man, so get to running. But yet, what is it that the church culture of our day is so wrapped up into doing? We lure, lure our children, teenagers, and adults into making a confession, and then we applaud them because we assume that they have now been entered into the race. And we tell them they need to do no more than that. Make a confession, say a prayer, repeat after me, and then you're into the kingdom. There's no need to run. There's no need to cross the finish line. Sit down because you've already obtained all of these things in full. Meanwhile, we see Paul in an all-out sprint to the finish line, screaming out, I have not already obtained it, and I have not already become perfect, so I press on. And when we lose sight of how salvation actually works, it leads us to scratching our heads and at times maybe even falsely questioning the assurance of our own salvation. As we look around and see people dropping out of the race like flies, we at times don't know how to come to grips with what is happening. We question God and wonder, if he was not able to hold on to them, how can I be confident that he will hold on to me? And we get here because we misunderstand how this thing is supposed to work. We assume that just because it appeared to us that others had entered the race and were running for a short time, that they were in fact in the race. And then we jump to a million strange conclusions to justify this. Well, how about we stop doing this and instead just trust what Scripture tells us? 1 John 2.19 answers this question very clearly. 1 John 2.19 <clears throat> They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they are all not of us. The runner who refuses to run is by very definition no longer a runner. The Christian who is not running the race that God has set before them is not a Christian. For if they truly were, they would be running right alongside us. And now that we've made our way to the end of that rabbit trail, let's get back to our text. Paul says in verse 12, Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. And Paul, once again here, we can see him taking action so that something might happen. He presses on so that he may lay hold of that for which he was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. And this leads us to ask another question of our text. What is it that Paul was laid hold of by Christ Jesus for? If we keep chasing after our text, we'll find the answer. Verses 13 and 14, we'll see, repeat the same structure as verse 12, but add in some additional details. Paul says, 
Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And we see once more in verse 13, Paul stating that he has not laid hold of it yet. He has not done this, but there is one thing that he will do. He not only presses on, as we see in verse 12, but he's forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. And Paul, once again here, uses the language of a runner. The runner's not looking back and seeing how much ground he has already covered and how many steps he has taken to get him to where he is at. Nor is he peering over his shoulder constantly to see if the competition is creeping up on him, for he knows that this will slow him down. He forgets what lies behind, but he reaches, strains, and stretches forward to what lies ahead. We're able to see in verse 12 that Paul is pressing on to lay hold of that for which he was laid hold of by Christ. And verse 13 tells us he has not laid hold of it yet. And then in verse 14, we see that he presses on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And it is here where we can finally understand what Paul has had his eyes fixed upon the whole time. Just as the runner fixes his mind on the goal, so too does Paul. And what is Paul's goal? Well, as we'll see, the answer to this question is like a key that unlocks the whole of this marvelous text. Paul's goal is Christ. His prize is Christ. When he reaches forward to what lies ahead, he is reaching for Christ. When he presses on so that he may lay hold of that for which he was laid hold of by Christ Jesus, what he has in mind is once again Christ. For what is it that Paul tells Timothy that Timothy had been called for? 1 Timothy 6.12 Fight the good fight of faith, Timothy. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. And how is it that Jesus defines eternal life in John 17.3? This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Paul presses on. He reaches forward. He strains. He strives. And he keeps on running so that he might be awarded his prize, Christ Jesus. And this is what Paul was after. Christ was his goal. Christ was his prize. And already this morning, in just a few short verses, we've been able to mine out such beauty and truth from this text. Yet, we've still not made our way to the bottom of it. For we have yet, we have not yet seen what it was that kept the air in Paul's lungs and the ground under his feet as he continued to run. Why was Paul, how was Paul, able to keep pressing on? And verse 13 gives us the answer. In the NASB, we see the English words, lay hold. The Greek word, Greek word that is used here is katalimbano, which means to lay hold of, to capture, to apprehend, or to seize. And the ESV is the closest in capturing the meaning behind Paul's words. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus 
has made me his own. Or an even more literal rendering would be, I long to seize Christ because Christ has seized me. And this, this, friends, is what allows Paul to press on, to reach, to strive, and to keep on running. He's longing to seize onto the one who has already seized onto him. On his own, he would have never entered the race. He'd be able, unable to run in the race, and he'd never make it to the finish line. But as we can see from this morning's text, he's not on his own. Just the opposite. Christ has already made Paul his own. Christ has captured him. Christ has apprehended him. Christ has seized him. And now Paul longs to make Christ his own, to capture him, to apprehend him, to seize him. Why? Because Christ has already made Paul his own. As Christian Bishop Theodoret wrote some 1,600 years ago, For I was fleeing him and turned well away. Yet he caught me as I fled. But now I in turn am the pursuer in my desire of catching him, that I may not be a disappointment to his saving work. And I pray that this is a reality that each of you can reflect on in your own lives as well. For if you truly have been placed into God's race, then you'll be able to look back and remember what it was that you were doing when Christ found you. You were already running, but it was in the wrong direction. You were not running towards him, but away from him. As we look back and are able to see ourselves running our hell-bound race full steam ahead, we we'll, should be able to see that God, for a reason that we'll never be able to comprehend, reached into our lives and opened up our eyes so that we could see where it was that we were headed to. And as we should know, he not only gave us a glimpse of the flames and a scent of the smoke, he also gave us a glimpse of his glory and a taste of his goodness. And for all those that have seen his glory, for all those that have tasted his goodness, we're not content with simply remaining on the starting blocks. No, we don't want to remain there because that's still too far away from our Savior. We want to draw closer, to come nearer to our Lord. So we slowly inch our way closer to him? No, that's madness. We run. We don't walk. We don't sit. We run. We press on with every fiber of our beings so that we may seize onto the one who has already seized onto us. We keep moving forward, forgetting what lies behind, because our eyes are fixed upon the one that lies ahead. We set the gaze of our hearts and our minds upon the goal. We strive and we strain with everything in us to move closer and closer to the finish line because that's where we will receive our prize in full. That's where we will gain, be found in, and know Christ completely. This is where we will meet our Savior face to face. And until you've reached that mark, you don't let up because if indeed you have seen his glory and tasted his goodness, then you will know it is glorious and it is good. And not being content with just a glimpse or just a taste, you press on to make Christ Jesus your own because he has already made you his own. We run and we keep on running, not because we possess some inherent power within ourselves to keep on going. It's only because of Christ that we're in the race at all, and it's only through his power that we will run. 
but yet we still must pick up our feet and run. And all those who are in Christ do so willingly, willingly and joyfully because we realize that we have no right to even be in God's race in the first place. We were bent on running our hell-bound race all the way to the finish line where we would have been awarded hell and eternal death. But then God reached into our lives, revealed to us the truth, gave us a gift of grace, salvation, and faith, and set us on the track that leads to him. And as we look around and get our bearings, we realize that we're now facing a completely different direction. Our track is no longer facing downwards towards the devil, hell, and eternal death, but rather it's facing upwards towards God, heaven, and eternal life. We realize that we have absolutely no right to be standing where we are, but nonetheless, our feet are on the course. So with a smile on our face, we settle our feet into the starting blocks, focus our eyes on the goal, and when the gun goes off, we run. Not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now. Just thank you once again for our time to gather this morning. Thank you for your word, Lord, and all that you've done in our lives. We thank you that while we were at enmity with you, Lord, while we were running away from you, that you reached into our lives and you revealed to us who you were. You gave us the gift of grace and salvation and faith so that we no longer could run away from you, Lord, but that we can run towards you. May we realize that this is all your work from the start to the finish, and that would use the power that you have given us to draw closer to you and glorify you along the way. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you were challenged by the word of the Lord and invite you to join us again. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry in Montrose, come worship with us at 930 every Sunday along Lake Avenue.